just before we start the show, I want to take an opportunity to invite you to join me for the Podfluence Weekly Newsletter, which is available both on LinkedIn and through the official newsletter channel. Now, if you are on LinkedIn and it's easier for you to follow there, then please just click on the link in the show notes, which will take you straight to Podfluence on LinkedIn, where you can subscribe for free and get weekly updates on Podfluence articles as well as episodes. If you would like to subscribe to the full newsletter where you'll get additional materials and, as my little incentive to you, my pre-podcast guest checklist for you to use when you're appearing on podcast shows so that you can be fully prepared every single time, then please click the link to the official newsletter in the show notes. Hope to see you there. Let's get on with the show. Welcome to the show. My name's Johnny Ball. This is Speaking Influence, the show that helps you to build your influence and authority and master the skills of ethical influence and persuasion to become a powerfully persuasive communicator. This week, we are on the topic of communication very much. And you will know if you've tuned into the show before that I love talking about public speaking. And I often talk to professional speakers and speaking trainers. And today I get the pleasure of chatting with an excellent speaking and presentation skills trainer who has moved from a career in the dramatic arts into bringing those skills and talents with her to help other people become amazing communicators and to bring some performance into their talks and presentations, which is really essential. If you've tuned into the show before, you'll also know that we'll often have conversations with people from all sorts of aspects of influence and persuasion, not just public speaking. So we'll chat to neuroscientists and psychologists. We'll chat with marketers and branding experts, with political speech writers, professors of rhetoric, authors, even the occasional secret service agent or ex-cult member. One thing we try to do is make sure the conversation is always interesting and valuable to you. And this one certainly is. It was a very pleasurable, enjoyable conversation. Now, if you're sitting around listening to this thing, grab yourself a cup of tea or coffee and enjoy the chat. If you're on the move and you happen to have your mobile device in your hand right now, then why not leave us a review? If you're listening to Speaking Influence on Spotify, what you need to do is click the three dots on the show and it will bring you up a menu where you can rate the show. So please give us a rating. I mean, a good one would be nice. Your ratings and reviews really help other people to find the show and give me some encouragement that I'm moving things in the right direction. My guest, Jackie Goddard, has a business called Power to Speak and a podcast with the same name. And she is on a mission to make entrepreneurs, leaders and speakers excited about sharing their ideas. So I hope you'll enjoy this conversation as much as we did. All that's left for me to say is enjoy the show. Welcome to Speaking Influence, the show that helps you to master the psychology and application of ethical influence and persuasion in life and business with persuasive presentations and podcasting coach, Johnny Ball. If you're a coach, speaker, or course creator and would like to have a simple online ecosystem for your business where you can create funnels, build an integrated website, sell and host courses and live programs, build your list with lead magnets, manage your sales, create communities, and so much more in a way that is affordable and fully supported, you'll love New Zendler. You can try everything out for free. And if you love it, you can register for monthly or discounted annual billing. It's more cost-effective than most other similar platforms. 
Don't pay for a multitude of services you have to then link up manually. Get an online solution that does everything you need in one place. Find the link in the show notes and try New Zendler as the all-in-one solution for your business today. Welcome to Speaking Influence, the show where we are helping you build your influence and master the ethical skills of persuasion. And today I am joined with a guest who is helping other people to be able to communicate more effectively, more powerfully. And she has a history in the in the arts really she's a uh, history of acting and performing and designing and dressing and we're going to talk about some of this stuff as well i think we want to keep everything related to the influence and persuasion stuff but we have lots of good things to talk about today so let me welcome to the show jackie goddard hello thank you so much for having me Jackie, thank you for coming on the show. Really glad to have you here. Now, you sent me over some very helpful information and uh, and three things that were interesting about you. That, uh, one of them being that your dad was a stuntman. I have to correct you. My dad is a stuntman. Your dad is a stuntman still? Still, yes. Ah. And he would hate me if I told you how old he was. But yes, he's obviously, yeah, stunting <laughs> for, for older actors now, put it that way. <laughs> Well, no, fantastic. I was just wondering if there was an, an interesting conception story there, but we won't go into that. <laughs> not that I know of. Not that I know of. Not that, not that you know of. But, uh, but nonetheless, uh, an interesting career to have been in. And is that what led you into a career in the arts? I don't know. I suppose there must have been an influence there. I certainly wanted to be an actor when I was younger. And he... Obviously, he worked away a lot, but yeah, I don't know whether it whether it was because of him. I think as I think mainly what came from my dad was the storytelling, and just that kind of interest in the history of the people that we live around. You know, our grandparents. Our I can remember sitting around the the dinner on a Sunday, you know, Sunday afternoon roast dinners and and just talking and recounting stories from the past and obviously stories from work that he'd been doing and things like that and he just loved to tell stories and I think that sparked an interest in me but I think it was more probably more genetic than anything else just an interesting people (laughs) I think yeah yeah well, that, that's definitely a good thing to have and, and important for the things that you're doing now, undoubtedly. And we already mentioned you have some fashion design background as well, but and part of your career history was being a dresser at the RSC and you have dressed some very well-known people, one in particular being Dame Judi Dench. So we have to ask you a little bit about how that was. What was the experience like working with Dame Judi? Oh, well, as you would imagine, she was lovely. She, I can't say a bad word against her. She was lovely. And the thing with the RSC, I don't know if you've ever been backstage. At, it was at the Barbican back then. I think I, they've all gone from the Barbican now. They're back up in Stratford, as they always were. But Judy was in a, a dressing room with the girls. So there was a girls' dressing room. There was a boys' dressing room. Uh, and there was a dressing room for the young spear carriers, basically. But everybody else was, everybody was kind of in together. And yeah, Judy was just one of the one of the actors. And that was the fabulous thing about the, the Royal Shakespeare Company and still is that the, the cast list was always alphabetical. So if there was somebody whose name began with a, a, you know, an A or a B, then they, their name was above Judy Dench's name. So it, it was a real ensemble. Uh, and if I learned anything from the yeah. Royal Shakespeare Company, that was, that was my big takeaway was that there were no stars. And actually to bring a production to the stage, they all had to work together. The actors at the backstage, us dressers, you know, wardrobe, lighting, everybody was 
was on that uh, there for the same reason to produce that show. It sounds like that was a wonderful atmosphere being being in there working with wonderful people like that and having that part of a team sort of feeling, which is always good. Now, if I'm right, this is part of what prompted you and inspired you to become a performer yourself and to to go more into the acting and performing route. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I it the, the it was a bit, the way it happened when I went to the careers officer at school when I was sixteen, and my mum, I can remember my mum came with me, and we sat in the office with this this lady, and she was obviously, what do you want to do when you leave uh, school? And I said, I want to be an actor, and she just she kind of gave me this look as if to say, really. So she kind of said, do you belong to any drama groups? And I said, no. Do you, have you been in a school play? And I said, oh, yeah, I've been in school plays. Do you go to the theatre much? And I said, no. She said, no, you don't want to be an actor. She said, if you wanted to be an actor, you'd live, die and breathe the theatre. What else can you do? And I, I was so shocked. And my mum was sat behind me saying, well, she's very good. And I just said, well, I'm, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not bad at art. And she said, okay, well, we'll have a, we'll have a look at the art at colleges, polytechnics as they were back then. And so I ended up going and doing an art foundation course instead of going to drama school. And from that ended up going into fashion and becoming a designer, which was the worst thing ever because it's, it's not a particularly nice business to be in. And I ended up designing for right. the high street, basically. So it was, you know, three quarter length yeah. sleeves and a patch pocket and here and you know there was just no creativity in it whatsoever so I ended up leaving and a right. friend of mine that I'd been at fashion college with was working at the Barbican at the Royal Shakespeare Company in the wardrobe department so she got me some cover work as a dresser and it was actually while I was there dressing in what was the pit which was the theatre in the base well the, I mean, the whole of the Barbican was in the basement, basically. But this was right at the bottom. It was like their studio theatre. And that's where Judy Dench was. That's where the, the play that they were doing was. But I can remember standing in the wings and just listening to a couple of young actors. They were similar age to me, a bit younger, maybe. And I thought, I can do that. Why? What am I doing? Sorting out people's socks and pants and <laughs> getting them into quick changes and all that, to, you know, when... That's what I want to do. I used to sit in the technical rehearsals and just watch the director and just sit in the empty auditorium, just watching them rehearse. And so mm. that was when I decided to go to drama school. I thought if I'm going to do it, I'm, I'm, uh, it would be a, the biggest regret if I don't actually make the effort and, and go for it. So that's how I ended up at Isn't drama interesting? school. Isn't interesting? Like one... Yeah, one person then kind of diverted your dreams and desires to to go into what you really wanted to by saying, oh, no, you can't do that. You should do this. Yeah. And how much we, we give, especially when we're younger, we give credence to those, to older people. That, oh, well, you know what you're talking about. You know what you're doing. So you must be right. And, and then it takes you years. That's, yeah. Luckily, you came back to what you wanted, but not everybody does. Some people maybe end up going into staying in those things for life yeah. because one person told them, well, this is what you should do. Yeah, yeah. That, that's horrendous. I mean, I remember careers advice at school. I, I don't know uh, if, if you had this, but like you had to fill in these forms mm. and uh, everything got processed through a computer and then it would come back and uh, you'd have a, a special class where it would deliver your results and tell you what you were <laughs> going to be when you left For the rest school. of your life. How horrendous. <laughs> For the rest yeah. of your life. Yeah. I think 
my, mine was something like uh, lawyer or policeman or something like that. I mean, it was, it was so, so I thought that's what I was supposed to be because we tend to not always know when we're that young. Or even if we do, we tend to believe information that comes at us when people yeah. are telling us we know better. Yeah, and I think there was a thing that it, within me that I felt, I felt it so passionately that, you know, this is what I wanted. I can remember going to the theatre when I was about 14 and the butterflies in my stomach of, the, of excitement of just thinking that's where I want to be. But actually, I think because it meant so much to me, I was frightened of doing it back then. I, I was frightened yeah. of making a fool of myself or being told that actually, you know, why, why, what makes you think you could be good enough? So I suppose when that career officer told me that or said that to me, I, I did believe her. I thought, well, what, what makes me special to think that I could be an actor? And as you say, that happens to so many people. And it's part of what I do now and through the teaching and through everything. It's just giving people the permission to go back to what they wanted to be when they were that age and just, just do it. Just go for it. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's interesting to talk about how these things can influence our lives, the whole direction of our lives. And we all have that potential to be an influence. Uh, I think we see just there an example of how you could be a good influence or a not so good influence yeah. on somebody's life. Uh, I, but I'm wondering in terms of somebody who has been a, a good influence or someone who you would look up to or admire in respect of their influence and persuasion, who would you choose? Is it someone from your own life, someone from public life or history? Who would you select? Well, I mean, obviously my dad has got to be got to be one of them because he he started I mean, he was one of nine. They I mean and all nine children shared one bedroom. Uh, I think his bed was on the windowsill wow. at one point. And he he knew that he didn't want to stay doing what he was doing, what was expected of him in exactly in the, in that way. He was he went from he left school at 15 went into a job, sort of engineering, but in a factory and just had been there a couple of months, I think, and was stood, I mean, he tells this story quite often, uh, but stood around the uh, pot boiler thing in the middle, you know, the, the wood burner in the, in the centre where they all sort of stood around and had their, their tea. And he said to one of the old guys, you know, how long have you been here? And he said, oh, like 30 years, man and boy kind of thing. And he said, oh, okay. He said, and where do you, what, you live locally? And the guy said, yeah, I live just, just down the road there, around that corner. And my dad said, oh, has he been there long? He said, no, no. He said, I, I, uh, I moved. He said, well, where did you live before? He said, oh, well, just, just around that corner. And it was just, I think it just kind of <laughs> it made him realise that actually if he stayed there, there, there was nothing else. With, with the, it, literally, that, was it, that would yeah. be his world. And he went home that evening and did this on, a, on the evening standard and said to himself, whatever, wherever my finger lands, that's the job that I'm going to do. And thinking that he could end up on an oil rig or, you know, and, and doing something in Alaska. I mean, he really didn't care. He just knew he had to do something different. And his finger landed on London School of Charm requires models. So he called oh, wow. them and ended up going for uh, this modeling job, which he got, which he didn't expect to get. And from that, that kind of led him into extra work and then into film and television until he was, you know, doing stunt coordinating for the Bonds and, and, and sort of different things to, you know, where he, he's sort of got to in his career. And so to me, that, that wow. was always kind of, wow, you know, that's, that's doable. He went to a drama school age sort of 30 when I, I was a child and, you know, he had a family and, and responsibilities, but he knew that, that there was more. And also I looked to him because 
he is just such a nice person and that's that just sounds so weak really but he is just approachable not not to me and actually within the i've seen him work i've you know i've been on to sets and seen him work and people just like him they just really like working with him which is how i think that you you get from job to job or you get to where you want to be because people want to be around you you know, and especially in, yeah. in those kind of atmospheres where you're working very closely and very intensely with people, is you've got to be likable, you know, and I think that's, that's certainly something yeah. I've always sort of looked to him yeah. for, you know. Yeah. Likeability is a very underrated quality, but you know, yeah. that I, I've done, uh, I mean, well over a hundred shows now about influence and persuasion and undoubtedly likability is one of the qualities of influence and persuasion yeah. being, being likable. I mean, Warren Buffett is famous for saying that he only ever works with people that he likes, trusts and admires, but it just, just general for ease of life and for uh, social and even professional lubrication to get yeah. places, being nice, being likable. Is, is super important and we sometimes i think we sometimes associate that with being bland yes which it isn't no it doesn't uh, so it doesn't it? have to be no nice nice isn't this sort of insipid no it's just kind of polite about everything it's more of a an activity like an, a general attitude of caring about people and liking people and, yeah. and being interested in them which is which we referenced as well so i can see how your dad then has been an amazing influence on, on you and your life and, yeah. and definitely sounds like a very positive influence for you Yes. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I mean, I think there is that thing as well. And I know from, from working in theatre, because I, I didn't just, I only did a small part of acting really, but a lot of the theatre work I did was within sort of costume and, and finding costumes for people, making costumes. And I never interviewed for a job. I, I literally went from job to job because people knew that I would turn up on time, do the job well. And I was good to work with. I was fun to be around, I suppose. So, you know, and I think, I think, reliability and all of those things that as you say people kind of look at as as slightly bland are good things to have if you want to influence people otherwise you know that you're not going to achieve that they, they're underrated qualities and i think the world I, I certainly hope and feel that the world is moving away from this idea that to be successful in things you need to be hard-nosed and uncaring and uh, self-serving and mean to people complete diva all the time yeah there are certainly people who still I, I i think a lot of people who go down that path as well do it because they think that's how you're supposed to be to get yeah. what you want but certainly there are people who go down that path because that's who they are yeah. uh, but for the most part now people people want relationship more than ever people want connection more than ever and uh, and so if you're not likable you're going to really struggle with things yeah. like connection with people mm. and building and developing network and relationships which Absolutely. i think are yeah. the some of the most important things for life and business Judy Dench is a perfect, perfect example of that because she, everybody loved being around her because she was funny. She'd make jokes and she made the work fun. And that's, that's why people love her to this day. And that's, you know, how she moves from, from job to job. She's never, ever been out of work, I shouldn't think. And it's all about giving value as well. So it's all about not being there for yourself, but being there for other people, I think. What I saw from your information is that you've always been someone who likes sharing knowledge and helping people and teaching people along the way and, and that's something you're very focused on now 
So you are helping people to bring out their creativity, to improve their speaking. What made you decide to move from working in the acting and performing world into doing this? Well, I mean, early on, I realized that I wasn't necessarily going to be paying my bills <laughs> by acting. And actually, I always realized in the end that I was really more of a director than I was an actor. And there is something around directing and teaching, you know, that it's kind of bringing together a, a, a sort of a vision and bringing people into that. And so you are then, you're bringing people in together, you're sort of working, again, it's that ensemble thing. And so it yeah. it was quite a, a simple move into the teaching side of things. It was quite um, easy then to be the person that was at the front of the class saying to everybody, right, we need to work together. How can we do that? And what is it that you need to be able to, to make this work? So I got into teaching really to supplement the acting work that I was doing and going to auditions and things like that. But actually to work with a group yeah. of people to bring a production to life was what I ended up doing. And in lockdown, and that's what I was doing right up until lockdown, working with adults, mainly some young people with, with learning disabilities. And when it came to lockdown, obviously all of my work stopped because all of the venues were closed, all the workshops that I were doing just were cancelled. Um, and so in lockdown, I really had to sort of think about what it was about the job that I enjoyed most. And in this sort of new networking Zoom world that I'd taken on in lockdown, because <laughs> otherwise I was just sat home alone. So I did a lot of sort of networking, uh, which I love doing because I love meeting people and starting the podcast. It seemed like a really, I, I was hearing lots of people saying this, you know, this is a whole new world. We need it's not it's not now if you're running your own business it's not now about the poster the flyer the advert in the in the paper it's now customers are expecting to see who it is that they're buying for we buy from people that we know like and trust and so small business owners bigger business owners anybody now is kind of expected to show up for their customer and so what i do in my acting world of looking at people and saying, right, I can get you to that performance. It just seemed that what I had learned as an actor, the training that I was given to become an actor and the feelings and the processes I went through from standing on a stage, I could see was going to be really, really beneficial to everybody, you know, from the learning tech, you know, from breathing, from from the vocals, the technical vocal side of being able to project clarity, diction, articulation, but also that feeling of, of being relaxed enough to just show up as yourself in front of any kind of audience, whatever that audience might be. It might be an audience of one, it might be an audience of many. It might be looking down a camera lens and and not knowing who or what you're talking to out there, but just giving people that confidence. Sure. So that's, yeah, that's, that was the process really is to, is to go from, from teaching and bringing people to that performance to then transferring it to a kind of a business world. Yeah. And, and what sort of transformation are you helping people to achieve then? Like what, what are the things that they're starting off with that you're able to help them move on from or improve upon? Well, I, I suppose the, the biggest thing is nerves is I think it's a well-known 
fact that that people are, are actually more scared of standing on a stage and speaking publicly than they are of actually dying. I mean, it's just it's that severe. It's so. First of all, it's about calming people enough that and and letting them know that it's it's all right. They can they can stand on stage and say what they've got to say. What they have to say is important. So a lot a lot of what I do yeah. in the beginning is just making people feel comfortable. I've been working recently with a somebody in a company that has kind of been pushed forward <laughs> to be the face of the YouTube channel within their business. And the guy has all of the knowledge. He knows absolutely everything about his business inside and out. And he's been doing these YouTube videos and well done to him to actually do that. But yeah. what he's come to me for is to, to make them interesting and in order to do that i need to make him feel comfortable doing them i need to find what it is in right. him that makes him in that will make him enjoy doing them because it's very evident at the moment that he's not enjoying them and obviously if he's not enjoying them the audience are going to enjoy them i mean that was a big thing i learned from from acting is if you're not enjoying what you're doing on the stage even if you're portraying something quite sad and quite horrific if you're not enjoying the process of of telling that story, then the audience won't enjoy that either. So it's it is about finding yeah. something in in the, the the people that I'm working with that says right, okay, what what is it that is going to make you enjoy this? What is the part of what you're sharing important enough for you to put yourself through this? And how can we how can we turn that around so that you actually begin to enjoy it? Yeah. So would you, would you say then that enjoyment of what you do is the critical piece for most people? Yes. I, I, is enjoy, yeah. Enjoyment's another one of those words, isn't it really? I mean, it's, it, I know from personal experience, if I had a monologue or an audition piece that I needed to do, or, you know, a production that was, was going on and I was going to be on the stage, I was that actor, then I had to get to the point, And I heard this recently memorize to improvise and it, it mm. really is all about knowing your stuff so well learning those lines if you have to but getting what it is that you want to put across so ingrained in your head that you can play that you are relaxed enough with your content that actually it, it doesn't matter what the audience throw at you. It doesn't matter if you trip up walking up the steps. It do, you know, it, it's so, so there in your head and you are so excited to let other people know what it is that you are wanting to share that it, it, it kind of it exudes from you rather than, you know, when, we, when we're nervous and we, we don't want to look up, we don't want to engage with people because we think they're going to judge us or whatever. It's getting to that point where you can kind of yeah. open up to your audience and say, look what I've got to tell you. Isn't this exciting? So I don't know if so much of it is yeah. enjoyment, I, but yeah, just getting to a point where you can relax enough. I, I, I can see that and I can see how enjoyment is important and I, I can see like that that's part of where the enthusiasm comes from as well. And to be honest, just based on my experience and people I've worked with over the years, if you don't have that, if you can't have the enjoyment and the enthusiasm for what you're doing, you're not even going to want to put in the time that you actually need to put in to be able to get to those levels where you can, as you say, play, you can improvise, you can riff off stuff because you know it well enough to be able to do that. Most, most people are still stuck in that sort of conscious competence stage of having to be very aware of what they're doing, but having to stay within certain boundaries because they haven't 
reach the what we call unconscious competence where they just know it and they don't have to think about it. And so this is why I'm always very wary of people who say, oh, I just wing it all the time. <laughs> it's like, really, you do? You might be fine doing that, but how much better could you be if you actually really took the time to practice, rehearse, yeah. master stuff? Uh, I always think about, uh, I've had a few people on the show as guests who have done like improv. And uh, and that's been fascinating to learn from. And I'm guessing with your background, you've yeah. probably done your share of improv before oh, yeah. as well. But this <laughs> whole thing of the best improvisers are the people who do it a lot. And why is that? Because they're practiced in doing it and they have all these ideas jiggling around their head that they can just pull on stuff more quickly. And so to some degree, the best improvisers are the most rehearsed. Yeah. We'll return to the show in just a few moments. Like me, you have a message to share with your audience and it's important. In fact, it could change their lives. But first, you need to be very clear about two things. Exactly who are you trying to help? And what can you offer them that no one else can? Because it all starts there. And it's all about your brand. Brandface sponsors this podcast and they help people just like you to define, develop and display a brand that positions you as an authority. It's time to make sure you stand out. Find out more at learnaboutbrandface.com. That's learnaboutbrandface.com. Now back to speaking influence. Yeah. Um, and it's one of, you know, if people are asking me for tips of, you know, improvisation is one of my biggest tips for anybody is because it frees, it just frees your brain. You know, once you're practiced at it, once you get rid of that kind of inhibition of just standing up and saying the first thing that comes out, you know, comes into your head, then your brain gets used to working that way. And so then in any situation that you're put in, you are able to small talk, to do all of those things that people kind of go, oh, no, I can't do that. It's just get out there and and start practicing. We improvise every day. Of, I'm improvising right now. I have no script, <laughs> as you can probably tell. But, you know, the, Neither. We, we, we open our mouths in conversation and we don't always plan what we're going to say. In fact, most of the time we don't. And so we're improvising all the time yeah. and we just play with it. That's the thing is I love to get people into a room no matter what they do in their their day-to-day lives is just to make it up as you go along, just to have a play. I mean, they did, there is a TED talk out there, which is brilliant. And it's a guy called, I think if it's Professor or Dr. Charles Lamb, he did a, a very small research project on improvisation. And he put, he took some rappers and some jazz pianists and put them into a, a scanner, body scanner or an MRI thing to look at their brain patterns. And he got them, first of all, to play a rehearsed piece that they obviously rehearsed mm-hmm. and went into the scanner and he set up a keyboard on the lap so that the pianist could play. And then he got them to just improvise. So then he, they went back in and they did the improvising. He did it with the, the rappers and the uh, pianists. And what he saw in the brain scan was that when they were improvising, the part of, and I can't remember which part of the brain but the part of the brain that is our inner critic temporarily shuts down while that you're improvising so it actually does affect the so yeah yeah improvising just got to be done find a local oh, improvisation class oh, and just, a... just do it 
Yeah, yeah. We'll have to try and find a link to that for the for the show notes for people who want to check out the TED talk as well. But yeah, improvisation is a very powerful thing. I mean, one thing it's one thing being confident that you know what you're talking about. It's quite another thing to be confident delivering it to the level that you're talking about. And and that's why I'm, I'm kind of glad to be discussing that. And it, it's a deeper level thing than perhaps we've discussed on some previous shows of this this delivery aspect of it. We talk some we often hear people talking about being yourself, but we don't always get into exactly what that means. But I think we're hitting on it very strongly here with being able to improvise and riff is where you bring your personality into things rather than just delivering information or presenting a, a, a well-practiced speech is that being able to go beyond that to the level where you can something distracts you or something you don't suddenly have to spend five five minutes finding where you were in your notes i'm uh, looking at boris johnson there for that <laughs> but, uh, you know you want to you, but you want to be able to have a distraction come up and still be able to know exactly where you were and go straight back into it or even to incorporate the distraction yeah. and play off it in some way so that it becomes an entertaining part of your presentation yes. yeah knowing how to do all of those sorts of things comes with improvisation with pra repeated practice right yeah yeah, absolutely. I mean, you look at the people that we most love to watch. I mean, certainly me, if if I'm watching, at, I mean, I love TED Talks, but they are, you know, they're a year in the making, those at least a year in the making, those TED Talks. People have rehearsed that 20 minutes, you know, and, and there are, there's people out there like, I don't know if you ever watched, uh, so Ken Robinson do his talk on creativity. Do oh skills, yes, my, do my absolute kill, favorite yeah. TED talk ever. Yeah, I mean, he just is such a natural, but he knows he's he's rehearsed that. He's just rehearsed it so much. Brené Brown, I mean, again, just somebody that is so authentically herself and knows her stuff inside out that actually it 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 kind of comes across. She can she can talk and make you feel like she's making it up as she goes along, but she's not. You know, she's rehearsed. Hmm. incredibly in, you know she's rehearsed a lot to to make it sound that natural so yeah i mean yeah. emulation i think is another great thing though is to, is to find those people that that you love to listen to and see how they see how they work see how they talk how they present you know it, I mean, you need to be authentically you but you will be but yeah just find those people that you yeah. look up to that that you can kind of follow the way that they present themselves and and how they you know shape their 20 minute talk or you know how how they do it yeah i think there's the there's a big point to this of acting it being it modeling it until you are it for yourself because uh, it's like learning a dance you have to learn the moves and we have to learn them bit by bit and then when you learn them it's going to be a bit maybe a bit clunky at first but as you do more of it you get smoother and smoother and at some point the dance dances you instead of you dancing the dance because it's so in your body and set inside of you that you don't have to think about it. The moves are like pre-programmed. We do yeah. it when we're driving as well for others as you drive. You know, you don't generally have to think about it. You just do these things automatically. Yes. And that's when you get to that extra level of knowing where you don't have to give it so much conscious attention but people don't generally want to go through all the process that's attached to it things like driving we do it because we know we have to but sometimes there are things we want that we don't necessarily have to go through the process but i think even with influence and persuasion there are there, there are elements that you have to go through procedures practice you have to go through to get good at this Whilst there are some people who are naturally very gifted in these areas, they will always be overtaken by 
the people who practice if they don't work on it as well. So, and I think that's true in, a, in any part of life. I mean, we've seen this other talent code and we talk with, if you hear about Carol Dwecker, Carol Dweck even, <laughs> she, she talked about that, that you, you will always be overtaken if you don't actually put in the work by the people who, uh, who do. So natural talent will only get you so far. And, and I think that's where, that's where we find ourselves with most of our lives. People expect to be good at something straight away. Yeah. And then when they're not, <laughs> they were, oh, well, I'm just not good at that. Yeah. It's like, well, yeah, but you could be if you yeah. really want to be. I think as well that lots of people are expected to work or to talk or make presentations for their work. And sometimes it's not necessarily what they want to be talking about or something that they necessarily believe in, but it is expected of them as part of their job. And so what I try to do with those kinds of people is because you need to believe what it is that you're saying. Because again, going back to acting, if you don't believe what you're saying, then the audience aren't going to believe what you're saying. So even if you're playing a character that isn't you, you still need to believe the words that are coming out of your mouth because the, the audience aren't going to believe it, believe it if you don't. And so we yeah. do, you do need to find something even if it is work-related and it's not something that you're necessarily interested in, you need to find a nugget within that that you can grab hold of, that you can find interesting, that then you can make it your own. I mean, you can hear people doing talks yeah. and they'll say words that they don't actually understand themselves. And the audience will go, well, you can hear it, you know. I mean, if you go and watch Shakespeare, yeah. don't watch Shakespeare done by an amateur dramatic society. Bless them. You know, they work really, really hard. But they don't have the time to find out what it is they're actually saying. So half the time, if you, if you watch yeah. somebody that doesn't know Shakespeare terminology that well, or they don't understand what they're saying, then it's very difficult to follow the storyline because they don't understand what they're saying. So you don't understand what they're saying. And it's the same with anything. You need to, you need to know what it is that you're talking about and find something in it that you understand. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. But I just think in terms of and this all relates to a lot of the things that you've been saying about in terms of having influence, in terms of having status and standing, the kind that you would want to have, not with people being afraid of you, but people actually looking up to you and respecting you and even liking, trusting, admiring you, that that comes from being able to show who you truly are and, and to be able to be, have to have a relaxed confidence in those situations. And that can only really come when you put the work in. It doesn't happen without that time and practice element. And, and, and it's not always what people want to hear. They, I mean, people want the sort of add water and stir solution or the magic pill that they can take. And, and the reality is that doesn't exist. So this is why success perhaps isn't for everyone, why status and influence isn't for everybody, no. because you have to put some work into this. You actually have to put some energy and effort into it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you did, again, go back to theatre analogies, but I did some work on an opera once and I didn't realise that in the career of an opera singer, they will have maybe three parts that they sing, that they play in any opera. So through their 20 year career, they will only know three parts. So it's not like an actor that goes from, right. because it, it needs to fit their voice, it needs to fit, you know, mm. with a, whatever it is, which I didn't, I didn't realise, but that's how they hone those skills is that they are just playing that same part over and over again. I mean, it is the same with an actor at the, going back to the Royal Shakespeare company, going back to when I was even doing fringe shows, you are doing a show every day for however long the run is. And so by the, you know, by the time you're a month in, 
you you are able to play and find nuances and find different ways. And most people will have a signature talk if that's what they're you know if that's what they do, or you know oh, yeah, their their keynotes, pitch yeah. or whatever. It's they'll do it so often, and the more they do it, the better they will get. And the, and the more playful they can become. And, you know, when, when you've got that playfulness, then you, you're more engaging and people will want to listen to you and want to, want to know what it is that you're talking about. It's, it's always interesting. People, people often say they want to be more confident when they're, when they're speaking and presenting. And like, yeah, there are tips and tricks that can help you to get in that mindset. But nothing's going to give you the same level of confidence as actually knowing your stuff so well that you're not going to forget it all of a sudden or, or that you know it well enough to, to riff off it and play with it. When you know stuff that well, you have every reason to be confident about it. And, uh, and, and you mentioned about that. I'm going to have to look into this research as well because it's, it's fascinating that when you're able to improvise on stuff that it gets you out of that part of your brain, the, the, the inner critic, that's fascinating because that's often what is pulling people back yeah. when they're speaking, presenting, performing, what, however you want to, however you want to look at this. Yeah. So a fascinating area and, and uh, some interesting, really interesting things you're sharing with us today. So I want to ask you, because I believe, I believe as a podcaster myself, that having a podcast is a great way to build your own influence and to get a message out there and to help people uh, in the ways that you can best help them with your knowledge, talents and abilities. So what was it that made you want to start a podcast? Particularly? Well, apart from boredom in lockdown, really, I think what it was, was... Oh, when when I started my business, say, three and a bit years ago, and I was really kind of freelancing around creative projects. So I was doing, I'd come out of an art centre as their arts development. So I was doing arts development work part-time and teaching part-time. And so I gave up the arts development thinking that I could do projects around sort of community arts projects. And when I then started networking and telling people what I was doing, they were kind of, I got those like, eh? that kind of look where people go, ah, and, but not really knowing where to put me or, you know, they were busy trying to sell me their sure. solicitors, you know, or, or accountancy processes or whatever. And I thought, this is really odd. This is not why, why I came into networks. I didn't want to be sold to from the person sitting next to me or give me their business card. I wanted to actually form relationships and collaborations and talk to people about my business and, to, and find out how they were doing theirs. And I thought that's what networking was. It, I was wrong. Mm. Um, so the, so the podcast really came out of a network that I found. I mean, I kissed a lot of frogs in the networking world. And I finally found one that was, wasn't even a, a sort of a selling network. It was more of a learning platform, really, about content marketing. And within that, there were a couple of podcasters. And I got to the end of one of our kind of online Zoom meetings. And it, there was a, a guy there called Joseph Jaffe, who has a podcast called Corona TV that he started in lockdown and literally from sort of the March put on a podcast show every single day and invited content right. marketers that he knew. And he came on and spoke to us within this network that I was in. And at the end, I was so full of questions. How do you do that? Can I do that? Is it, are there too many? Uh, you know, I got really quite excited about it. And I thought, well, you know, it would be a great way to talk to business people about their own creativity. 
and because we are all creative i mean it just it, we're born creative it's everything we do is creative but people just don't get that they kind of think oh well i i can't paint i can't draw i can't play a musical instrument therefore i'm not creative and so it was just for me it was a, yeah. a way of of kind of saying to people well okay what is it that you do and and what is your definition of creativity then what do you think creativity is and just opening up that discussion and but also talking to people that were kind you know I've I've spoken to authors and people that are at the top of their their careers in, in what they're doing and it's like well okay how how did you get there creatively how did how has your creativity helped you to get there just so that you can people that are listening can kind of see how they can do it and see what in somebody else's story relates to them and validates what they do and so yeah that's yeah. that's why and that's why I've continued doing it because that's that's what I love about it is that you know it's well it's just fun talking to great people <laughs> like yourself Johnny <laughs> Well, it's, I mean, I've had the I've had the privilege of being a guest on the show, yes, as well. And so, your your show is is called Power to Speak, yeah, yeah, yeah. Power to Speak the po so people can come and check that out on all the main networks, and we'll we'll have links to that in the show notes for people. But and apart from the episode with myself, what has been one of your favorite episodes? I'm not going to ask you, but your absolute favorite because that that's always impossible to do. But what has been one of your favorite episodes to me? Well, there have been a, there's been a few, I have to say, but I suppose. I made a contact in uh, the States uh, with a philosopher, American, they call him America's philosopher. His name's Tom Morris. And I do recommend anybody check out Tom Morris. If, if they don't even come and listen to the podcast, just go and check out Tom. He's written over 30 books. He worked at Notre Dame University in the States as a philosophy professor for many years before he left and now does keynote speaking and and just shares his philosophy with the world really and he wrote uh philosophy for dummies he wrote if i think if aristotle ran general motors and i read <laughs> i read a book recently of his called plato's lemonade stand which is the philosophy behind how we all cope with change and how how we can cope with change in a philosophical way and i know you're a bit of a philosophy buff too but he's he is an amazing yeah. he, he was an amazing person to talk to and just so engaging the way that he just talks about life and just shares his enthusiasm so yeah tom morris my recommendation yeah. oh, i love that well i'm de i'm definitely definitely going to check that out because I, I do love philosophy indeed I'm, I'm no professor of philosophy but i am someone who has a passion with it and and wish more people were into philosophy because it's such a, a fascinating area and uh, causes us all to think about things a bit more deeply which i always like so let me see people can come and check out your podcast also on your website which is powertospeak.co.uk yeah. so we'll have a link to that in the show notes as well but you also do coaching and you specifically work with people so can what kind of services would people be able to find there well, I do one-to-one -one coaching. So, and that's specifically with people on either whether they have a, a presentation that they need to make or whether, it, you know, they're going to be standing on a, a TEDx stage. And so I work with people one-to-one -one on not just building the confidence or how to use their voice effectively, but also kind of around the content as well, because I think it's really important to shape the content, to use people... I mean, obviously, there's the word story, storytelling is kind of maybe a little bit overused, but there, you know, the stories are very relatable, and lots of people, uh, specifically if they have data to share, forget about the storytelling, and 
People will, yeah. I love the quote, people won't necessarily remember what you said, but they will remember how you, you made them feel. And so within that content, I like to find the story in it and, and work out a way that, that people can kind of tell their story. So yeah, one-to-one -one coaching specifically on those sort of issues, team coaching and corporate team building around uh, confidence when speaking, when pitching, when trying to make an impact with what it is that they're saying. I've worked with um, the C-suite kind of level because quite often people at that level, even then still have a, a bit of imposter syndrome, are a little bit nervous about talking either to investors or people that are very, very important or talking to their staff, you know, so, so anything and everything that, that is around just helping people to build their confidence when they're sort of talking, not necessarily on a stage, but just talking to the people around them, really. I suppose it's communication, isn't it? It's sort of yeah. confidence in communicating. Indeed. Yeah. I mean, we, we are presenting communicating every day of our lives, just yeah. not always in those formal presentation situations for sure. So it's a valuable skills to, to get. So all those links will be in the show notes for people to come and find out more about you and the services that are available from your website. Let me ask you, uh, I always ask my guests for, um, for book recommendations. What would be a book or a couple of books that have, have made an impact on you? Or you think, well, these are the books I think everybody should read. Well, the Plato's Lemonade Stand, <laughs> certainly by Tom Morris. Just, I suppose the, the books that I like are not necessarily business books. I like philosophical kind of. My favourite ever book is To Kill a Mockingbird by Harper. And that, I don't know, and there's another book called The God of Small Things by uh, Arundhati Roy, which is a beautiful book. And both of those books are written from a kind of a child, from a child's eyes, looking at the adult world around them. And I do think there is something yeah. philosophical in the way we are as children looking at an adult world and how we deal with things as children. And also, obviously, the authors looking back to childhood and sort of figuring out what it was about, you know, the meaning of life from, from that age. So, yes, those are, yeah. I have to say as well, and I'm have heard you in podcasts before saying that The Secret is not necessarily your favorite book. But I have to say, I did read The Secret <laughs> about, oh, it must be at least sort of 15 years ago when it first came out. And as much as I don't, you know, the, it just kind of opened my eyes to a more positive way of approaching life. And, yeah. and, it, and it almost validated everything that I'd always thought. I've always been quite, a, you know, I am the glass half full person. And I don't understand people where the glass is always half empty because you think, well, what's the point? You might as well be positive rather than be negative. And I, there was just lots <laughs> of positivity in that book that kind of led me to a point where I thought, well, I can do, I am capable of doing anything that I want to do. And if, you know, if I really yeah. put the words into action, then the good stuff will come my way. So that, yeah. 
for what yeah. it's worth. That's well, I, I have to confess that I only watched the the movie. I never actually read the book. And by my good friend Brandon Eastman, when I went on his show, suggested that the the book is quite different, uh, and that I should give that a read. But you know, I, I it's, it's for me, it's a very deep level, nuanced conversation to fully explain what <laughs> what I like and don't like about all of that. They're, they're, unfortunately, we don't have time to, to have time for. It, but it's not a complete like I'm against it. I write it off. But yeah, I didn't like the movie for sure. Uh, so, but only really because I just kind of felt that for a lot of people it gave this impression that you just have to think about something yeah. and it'll suddenly appear in your life and it's like well yeah the, the world doesn't work like that no. unfortunately uh, or maybe fortunately <laughs> really this like, and that relates to a lot of what we've been talking about today actually we yeah. have to put in the work we have to be willing to put in the energy and the work to the things that we want to be do have and create in life so one thing that I do that I do want to get to ask you what what would you call what would you say is your own su secret superpower in in terms of influence and persuasion? I think it I think it probably goes back to just being reliable <laughs> and just being somebody that 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 I think my curiosity in people I think my superpower is to see both sides is to not judge and i do wish i do wish a lot of people were like that a lot i wish a lot more people were like that not that you know it, it, you're asking about a superpower mm. I, if that's it, maybe that is me blowing my own trumpet but i do feel like i give people the benefit of the doubt i listen to both sides i put myself in their shoes yeah because i think everybody is the way they are for a reason and is they are all motivated to do what they do for a reason and i always like to find out maybe what that reason is before i judge yeah yeah, yeah. i mean i've had to put in sort of the world of neurolinguistic programming in terms of getting into someone else's model of the world to understand that and that that's what relates to i think what you're, what you're describing there as well and that's definitely a superpower being able to uh, do your best to understand or get inside other people's thinkings and see things from other perspectives than your own, which gives you a, a much broader perspective on life rather than being locked into one particular way of thinking or that everything's black and white or anything like that. So yeah, definitely a superpower. Thank you for sharing that with us. If there was one thing that you would most like people to take away from our conversation today, what would that be? You have permission. You have permission to do what it is that you love to do. So go and find what that is. Have a have a think back to what you were doing in the playground aged nine and then go and do that. So I was making up plays. I was cajoling all of my friends to make up a play that we then I probably forced them into performing to the class on a Friday. And when I think back now, that's that's the person I should always be. And I think we we kind of get crushed a little bit through secondary school and we come out the other side you know, by the likes of those careers officers doing what we are, we think we should do, or we are expected to do. And we kind of forget how to play and we forget what that nine-year-old wanted to be when they grew up. Absolutely. 
Uh, I, I have to go and buy a Spider-Man outfit now, <laughs> so <laughs> I'll be I'll be <laughs> be back in a little while. No, I think it's good advice. We should definitely think back to to when we were younger, and that's a great thing to, to take away those limitations or the, the way we box ourselves in when we get older. Jackie's been a real pleasure talking today. There's been a lot of value for, from it, some great gems that you shared, and I uh, wish you the the best of luck with all of your coaching and your continued success with your podcast as it continues Thank to grow. You develop thank you for your time joining us today it's been a real pleasure oh thank you so much it's been it really has been a pleasure talking to you johnny so thank you thank you for having me thanks for tuning in i hope you've enjoyed the show if you did if you got some value if there's something you've learned or you can use from this show well, first of all go and use it but also share the show out there's a good chance that your friends and network will benefit from it too and it helps us to grow the show if you do plan on exploring any of the resources we've mentioned in the show today, please do use the links provided in the show notes. They do link to our affiliate links, which does help us to support the show and make sure that we can keep bringing you amazing guests and keep increasing the quality and maybe even the quantity of the show as well. If you haven't already checked out our sponsors, Brandface, remember to go and visit them at learnaboutbrandface.com. And if you want to get your brand score and you need to move quickly on this one because it might not be available that much longer, then you can visit brandfacescore.com and you can apply to get a free evaluation of whether your brand is being seen and met in the way that you hope it is. Now, I said last week that there are going to be a few changes and there will be. One of the things that I have been doing is rereading and revisiting the book How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. And I'm going to do a bit of a review on that book for one of my upcoming episodes. You'll be hearing that very soon. And I've started based on that, started a little series of videos, which you can find on my LinkedIn profile and probably most of my social media places for the show. And I'm doing a little video about how the principles from how to win friends and influence people apply for people who are looking to win over podcast guests or hosts and build up their influence and authority through podcasting. If that's of use to you, make sure you're following me on social media. If you're not already receiving my Podfluencer weekly newsletter, then do make sure you're either following me on LinkedIn or visit presentinfluence.com. Coming up very soon, you'll also be able to check out my interview with Alex Sanfilippo, who is the creator of Podmatch and Podpros. We talk about how much power there is in the world of podcasting, what's going on in podcasting right now, and why you might want to be thinking about getting on board either as a guest or as a host, or maybe even both. So don't miss that. Look out for those future episodes. Make sure you subscribe to the show. We'll look forward to connecting with you again for another episode very soon. Wherever you're going, whatever you're doing, have an amazing rest of your day. Go and make great things happen.